Hebrews chapter number one, first three verses, please. Hebrews one. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sin, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. I was reading through the book of Hebrews in my personal devotions this week. Now, I actually love the book of Hebrews. And the verses at the beginning of this passage are just, it's a wonderful book, and these are just amazing verses here. It's a tremendous beginning to a tremendous book. And there's verse number three has such amazing truth about Jesus Christ with these statements, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. What statements. They, these statements reveal much about our Savior, and they, they deserve some really deep thinking. But that's not what caught my attention this week. As I read through, two words stuck out in this one verse like they had neon lights on them. And I could not get away from them all week long. These two words were running through my mind. And they're just small, normal, simple words. But we'll take them for our title this morning. Those two little words are, by himself. Yeah. By himself. Let's pray. The Lord, you know that we're here and the difficulties that each individual person has. Lord, we didn't come like amazing people to sit in this auditorium. We came broken. We came troubled. We came in difficult situations. We came needy. And Lord, we came to meet with you. For in you we find all the, our needs met. And so, Father, we're asking, because of the person of the Lord Jesus, that you would work by your Spirit in this auditorium. We ask that you would work in each heart and in each life, that you would meet each need, and that you would do the work each of us require. This is a work far beyond anything that we could even dream of hoping to accomplish. But we know that without question, you can do so. And so, Father, as simply as we know how, as trustfully as we know how, we're asking you to work using your word by your spirit. For we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to do something this morning. Now, I know this isn't probably the best morning to do this because most of you stayed up late last night. And it's all you can do just to sit there without falling asleep. You've had a busy schedule through the holidays, 
and it's all starting to catch up with you now. And so you're tired. But I want you this morning to kick your mind into gear. We're going to read verse number 3 again. So that you get the context of the words by himself. But I want you, as we read this, to figure out what is trying to be expressed. What are these two little words meant to convey? I want you to work your mind to say, why were these? Because the sentence actually could be read without these. It's a prepositional phrase. And it makes sense even without these words. So why were these words actually put in here? What is the meaning? What are they trying to express? Here we go. Make your mind work. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sin, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Take a moment to get a hold of what is that phrase trying to tell me? I know it's not fair because I had the entire week to contemplate those two words. And I'm giving you just a few moments. But what are they there to convey? I have three distinct ideas that these two words convey. There may be more, but we'll cover the three that I came up with this morning. So here we go. By himself. By himself means, number one, all alone. He's by himself. He's all alone. He was all alone when he purged our sins. You know, the life of Jesus Christ is, did you see my brother move the Christmas tree? <laughs> it's made it this far. It's going to be put into storage. He didn't want it broken on the last day. It's hard for us to get our minds to wrap around and to think properly about the life of Jesus Christ. Because we look backward and we know him as the only begotten son of God. We know him as the sinless one. We know him as the fulfillment of, he's the Messiah, the promised one. We know him as the one who came and the lamb of God who took away our sin, the sins of the world. That's what we know him as. But we're looking back through time of 2,000 years. But that's not what his life looked like. Everybody knowing this about him. His life was much different than that. We just finished celebrating Christmas. And we talked about the angels and the shepherds and Simeon and Anna all coming and thrilled to see the Christ child. But that wasn't what it was like from then on. Other than just a few snippets, nothing is said of Jesus Christ until he's 30. And most of what is written from his 30 on is actually about the last few days of his life. John 1 tells us he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Isaiah says he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. 
sure in the scriptures, often we find the Lord surrounded by large crowds. What were those crowds doing? Mostly pushing and shoving, trying to get something from him. Most of us who've ever been in a crowd knows that, you know, it's possible to be in a big crowd and be all by yourself. You ever done that? Surrounded with people, and you're just all actually by yourself. Often we find the Lord actually alone. When he's tempted in the wilderness, or when he finds a solitary place in which to pray, we find him much in his life like that. But in the last hours of life, we find him definitely alone. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he leaves the disciples to pray. He goes as a, th a stone's throw away from them to a spot by himself. The agony of having the sins of the whole world placed upon him and the knowledge of the events that are going to take place because of that causes him to sweat great drops of blood. You know, the old saying, you know I like old sayings, misery loves company. That statement is true. A burden shared with others is easier to carry. We all know this by experience. When you have to go someplace new, when you have something that's hard to do or something scary to do, when you're going into something uncertain or unfamiliar, it always helps to have someone go with you, right? In his darkest hours, Jesus Christ is alone. As he is sweating great drops of blood, his closest friends are a stone's throw away, and what are they doing? They're sleeping. When the mob comes to take him, what happens with his friends then? They all flee and leave him completely. He stands in the judgment hall of the high priest without anybody in his corner. He stands before Pilate without a friend or a defender of any kind. When they march him through the streets up to Golgotha to crucify him, sure, there's two others with him. Two malefactors, two thieves. And what do they do? They join in the mocking of our Savior. He died alone. He died by himself. In our minds, we would like to think that, man, if I had been there, he sure wouldn't have died alone. If I was there, I would have never left him. I would have stood with him. We like to kind of think that. But the truth is much closerly, close, more closely expressed by the writer of the hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. The second verse says, listen carefully to this, because this is really the truth. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath hath brought me life. I know that it is finished. That's more like us. If we listened really close, 
we'd hear our own voice in the mockers mocking the Lord Jesus as he's dying for our sin. My friend, by himself. First meaning is he died all alone. Number two, by himself means without help. Without help. When he had, without help, purged our sins. Do you know it's in man's nature to want to be self-sufficient? It's in his nature to want to at least do something. He wants to pay his own way, and as far as he can, he doesn't want to be, as they used to say, beholding. I don't want to be beholden to anybody, if, if possible. You know this is the great stumbling block of man concerning heaven? Man wants to think of himself as deserving heaven, or at least doing something to pay his way to get there. And in this we have a serious problem. Because Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number 64 tells us, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our very best put Jesus Christ on the cross. That is really difficult to get our mind to wrap around. Our very best put Christ on the cross. This is why Ephesians 2 tells us, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Christ purged our sin, and he did it by himself. He didn't have any help doing it. All down through history, and all around the world even today at this moment, People are trying to make up for their sin by doing good, by doing charitable deeds, by observing religious rituals, by keeping religious traditions. These have no value where your sin is concerned. Christ purged our sin with his own blood, and he did it by himself. He didn't need any help. His dying words were, it is finished. He did the job all by himself. The Bible says, when he had by himself purged our sin, he did it all alone. He did it without help. Number three, by himself means he was the offering. He was the offering. When he had, by offering himself, purged our sins. He was the offering. He gave himself. Are you a giving kind of person? It's kind of a tough question. I don't want you to answer it out loud. Are you a giving kind of person? We all, I find, have giving differences. I'm kind of a strange giving person. Maybe you can relate to this. Where the Lord is concerned, I believe in giving. As much as I can, however I can, I really believe in giving. And I try to give as much as I possibly can, and then I look for more ways to give where the Lord is concerned. I think that's a really good idea, and so I 
consider myself, a, a, I, I believe in that, okay, and so I give, give, give. But compare that with this. I go to the cash register at a gas station, and they ring the bill up, and then the lady says, would you like to round up? How many know what I'm talking about? Now, here's what goes through my mind, okay? This is what I want to say. I don't say this. This is what I want to say. Aren't your prices high enough? Don't you know the government just added 7%? And now you want to take even more for an organization I don't know anything about? They probably waste the money anyway? That's what I want to say. <laughs> but when they say it, and you look down at the, the thing, and the bill is $5.96, what are you supposed to say? No. <laughs> okay, Mr. Scrooge, <laughs> you can't give four cents to this organization. And so... I'll just tell you right now, if it's more than a quarter, I say no. <laughs> hey, where the Lord is concerned, I give heavy. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the reality is most of that stuff, only five cents out of every dollar actually gets to the end result anyway. So, anyway, that's a whole different deal. But if it's like eight cents, you know, okay, um, Mr. Generosity here, round her up. <laughs> high roller that I am. All of us are givers in some areas. We see certain needs that pull at our heart or make sense in our mind and we give. That won't be the same for all of us. We'll all have different levels and standards of giving. But everybody gives at some level. And they will also give of their time they will give of their energy. They will give of their emotion. They will give of their influence. They will give. Based on the cause and the need, we give or we don't give. All of us are a little different. But the truth is, everyone has a limit to their giving. Nobody gives all their money. Nobody gives all their time. Nobody gives everything. No matter how deeply we give, we don't give everything. But when Jesus Christ gave, he gave everything. He gave himself. In our world, we see needs getting met by people giving. Some famine strikes around the world. And what happens? It's amazing. People start giving. And people all over the world will start giving and they'll raise money and the next thing you know, they're feeding all of these people wherever this famine happens to be. If a national disaster strikes, a natural disaster strikes, someplace, like we had the tornado last, about this time last year, a little later, everybody swarms in and comes to help and people give up their time and their resources in order to get this thing going back, meet that need. It's what we do. But in the case of our sin, no such help can suffice. There is no help from everybody else. There is no meeting the need. The fact is that we have sinned. That's undeniable. Does anybody want to stand up and say, I never sinned once? It is an undeniable fact. 
we have each individually sinned. We are guilty. It's undeniable. God's law is actually absolutely clear. The wages of sin, not might be, not could be, the wages of sin is death. This is an unbreakable law. When God says it, it can't be any way but that. It is an unbreakable law. So you have undeniable guilt and an unbreakable law. You must be separated from God forever. You sinned and God has a law against it. It cannot be broken. Now you tell me, what part can good works play in that? What help are religious rituals in that? What effect does anything that we have or do on either side, help on either side of the equation? What is your good works or your money or your giving, what does that do with your guilt? You're still guilty. What does that do for God's law? The fact that you gave money or helped somebody. What does that do to God's law? Nothing, it has no effect. It doesn't change the outcome you could call on all the king's horses and all the king's men, as you will, if you will. None of that could have any effect on the outcome. You have undeniable guilt and an unbreakable law of God. But Jesus Christ, who is God made flesh, lived a sinless life and offered himself as a substitute for you. He took our sin upon himself and died in our place. You know, God doesn't try to break God's law. He doesn't, the Lord Jesus didn't try to break the law of God. He doesn't try to go around the law. He satisfies the law. This is such an amazing thing. We are always trying to subvert the law or ignore the law. But Jesus Christ satisfies the law. On the cross, the sky goes black, and Jesus Christ cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because according to the law, he is being separated from his Father because of our sin. He dies on the cross for us and fulfills the law of God, which is the wages of sin is death. And Jesus Christ died in your place, fulfilling the law of God. It's the only way that God's law could be satisfied. It's the only way that our sin could be purged. When he had by himself purged our sin. When he had by the offering of himself purged our sin. By himself. When he had all alone purged our sin when he had without help purged our sin, when he had by offering himself purged our sin. There's a lot implied in those two little words. Now, let's take a few moments to consider our response. Okay, we know what the two little words mean now. Now, what response should come from us? Now, in this crowd this morning, there may be a few who have never heard what I just said over the last 20 minutes. Wow, that's all new to me. I've never heard that. There may be some. 
for the rest, the vast majority of this crowd, I didn't say anything that you hadn't heard already. But that does not exclude us. The fact that we have knowledge of this, and we've known it since we were that high, does not change the fact that there should be a response to this in each heart, in each life, continually. If Christ did this by himself, what should our response be? So be your own judge today. Better yet, let the Holy Spirit be your judge. What effect should those two little words, by himself, have in your life? Are they just facts? Everything that I said ahead of was are they just facts? Like so many other facts in your world? The fact that it rains all the time in the jungle. The fact that Des Moines is the capital of Iowa. The fact um, that apples grow on trees. They're all facts, right? But those facts do not affect your day in, day out decisions. It doesn't really have any real lasting effect on you. Is the fact that Christ died by himself for your sin, when he by himself purged your sin, is that one of those facts? It's just, oh, okay, I know that. Is it one of those facts? Or does this fact actually impact you moment by moment? If that's the case, then what impact should it have? What effect does it have in your life? No, 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 don't say it ought to have that effect on the person down the pew a few feet from you. But you, what effect should it have on you? And I'll give you a few seconds to contemplate that. That Jesus Christ by himself purged our sin. What effect should that have? What response should you have to that fact at this moment? Obviously, I've had a little more time to think about this than you, but I've got five or six. Five. So let's run through them very quickly. What response should you have? Number one, some of you need to quit trying to earn your own salvation. Simple as that. Some of you need to quit trying to earn your own salvation. You're trying to make it to heaven by being good. You're trying to make heaven by being better. You're trying to make up for your past. Come to grips with the fact you can't get to heaven that way. It's that simple. Christ did it by himself without any help from you. He purged your sin by the offering of himself. He is the answer for your sin. He is your only hope of heaven. And what you need to do, some of you today, need to put your trust in him. You need to quit trying to earn your own way to heaven. That is a proper response to this. To say, you know what? He did it by himself, and I'm going to trust him. And some of you are in that spot today. That's what you need to do. Quit trying to earn your own salvation.
Number two, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you should be a continual worshiper. You should be a continual worshiper. A man who has a large debt, okay, he owes hundreds of thousands of dollars. We'll look at that debt and say, wow, I'm in trouble. But he will, if he has proper character, start working and scrimping and saving and do working two, three jobs, buying nothing, and he will, after many years of struggle, pay the debt that he owes. And when he pays the final debt, the bill is totally paid, he will pat himself on the back and say, wow, that was rough, but I did it. We all get that. However, if a man has a debt that could never be repaid, it's far beyond anything that he could ever dream of actually paying off. No matter how he worked, no matter how he sacrificed, he would never pay that off. If someone pays it for him, what is his response? If he could never get it paid, his only response, pat himself on the back for having such good friends. He, the only response would be thankfulness, gratitude, in what our world would be worship. This is your only response to Jesus Christ, who by himself purged your sin. If that fact has not made you a continual worshiper, there is something missing. You have forgotten that you were purged from your sin. You have forgotten what you actually owed. You have forgotten the eternal damnation that you were facing. And you better get back to remembering that. Because he, by himself, not from your good work or your good effort, not from the fact that you've been in church for the last 40 years, but from by himself, he purged that sin. And the only reasonable response is continual worship. That is a reasonable response from this truth. Number three, sin of every kind should be forsaken. Sin of every kind should be forsaken. You know I like old things, so let me give you another one. You finish it. He made his bed. He made his bed, let him sleep in it. He made his bed, let him sleep in it. I think we all know what that means. Have you ever eaten crackers in bed and then spilled them? Do you know what that's like? How many have done that? All night long, you got these little things poking you. Oh. <laughs> you know what? If a person wants to eat crackers in bed and spill them, and then they want to spill their pop or their milk or their juice in their bed while they're laying there, you know what? What do I care? If they want to tangle all their mattress up and all their bedding up, look, they made the mess. Sleep in it, right? You're right. Go for it. You made your bed, sleep in it. 
a person has been given a moral choice. God gave you a choice. You can run your life however you see fit. He gave you that choice. If you want to take your life and mess it up all you want, have at it. If you want to, as it were, spill crackers all through your bed and pour your juice in your bed and tangle your life up into a terrible mess, have at it. That's your right to do. You made your bed, sleep in it. What does that mean? It means damnation in hell is what that means. It means paying for your sin in hell forever. Make your bed and sleep in it. You have that right. But if you have asked Jesus Christ to deal with the mess that you made in your bed, how dare you keep throwing that stuff in there and acting like it's okay? Keep messing up that bed intentionally, on purpose, holding on to that. How dare we do that when he by himself purged us and what he did to purge us, we're continually holding on to that like it's no big deal. How dare we do that? How dare any of us sit here holding on to any sin? Some bitterness, some grudge, some activity, some thought, some unforgiving spirit, some petty hindrance, some evil surmising, some pride, anger. How dare we do this when he by himself purged us from that and then we embrace, hold on to, intentionally do the thing which he died to correct, to deal with? My friend, if you understand the words that he said, by himself purged our sin, there is no way you can understand that and truly appreciate it and live in sin knowing it. If you do, there is something wrong. That's all there is to it. There's something wrong because it cannot be. He died to purge us from that, not so we could sit in the bed and keep making a mess asking him to continually clean it up. When we intentionally do this, there is something wrong. It's that thing that's probably popping in your mind at this moment. You're like, hmm. That's the Spirit of God saying, that's the mess you're making and not not be making that mess anymore. Christ died for it, and it ought to be done in your life. Sin of every kind should be forsaken. Number four. The words by himself ought to cause us to trust him. The word by himself ought to cause us to trust him. Consider it. Think of your predicament. You have undeniable guilt. You're guilty. There's no getting away from that. You have an unbreakable law. This is a court case that no one could lose against you undeniable guilt, unbreakable law. This thing is done, and you're done. And Jesus Christ, by himself, fixes this problem, purges you of your sin. If he can do that, 
What need could you possibly have that he couldn't meet? What trouble could you be in that he could not possibly fix? What difficulty could you have? He, if he could do that, he can do anything. And it ought to ring out of our hearts trust like none other. Christ is everything you need for every need that you have. And the fact that he by himself purged us from our sin ought to ring that trust right out of us to him. We ought to trust him completely. Trust him in everything. Number five, give yourself wholly to him. It ought to cause us to give ourselves wholly to him. When Christ came to purge you from your sin, he didn't just give a little bit of the gold from the streets of heaven to get it to go. He didn't just send a few angels to clean up the mess. He didn't just give a few moments of his time to take care of the situation. He gave himself entirely, which involved being despised and rejected and being alone and in pain and suffering and death. Now, in all good conscience, what response should there be from you to that? What is your giving like? I'm not talking about the giving of your money, although it would play a small part in this. But at the forefront of what we're discussing today, what is your giving like? Have you given yourself totally to him like he did for you? Are you holding back? Are you keeping this one little section of your life for yourself? Or have you given yourself totally to him? The proper response to the fact that he by himself purged you from your sin elicits the response of giving yourself totally back to him. His actions should prompt some response. When he had by himself purged our sin, when he had all alone purged our sin, when he had without help purged our sin, and when he had by offering himself purged our sins. A lot is found in those two little words. By 